Hello and welcome to DF Direct Weekly, episode 103. I'm John Lindemann, taking over hosting duties this week as our one and only lord and master of digital foundry, <laughs> Richard Ledbetter, is off enjoying himself for a change, which, uh, much needed break. I'm glad. So I'm here. I'm joined by two others. First of all, my friend, colleague, and crazy awesome dude alex batali is up there hey john i, I love the idea of john of, of rich not enjoying himself ever until he's not working um he's just like just <laughs> straight up working the entire time he just he works himself <laughs> like like crazy that man doesn't stop working he just, does uh, not stop working running digital foundry is not easy no but you also heard another voice and that is of course the lovely wonderful and super talented will judd <laughs> hey guys thank you for having me I'm we such... love having you, Will. Yeah, mm -hmm. always. And uh, I'm going to try my best at hosting. I do not have the that, charisma, that sort of the charisma of Richard <laughs> Ledbetter. That man you can do. host anything and make it sound like a, just just a wonderful piece of work. It's mm -hmm. great. But we do have some very interesting topics on the agenda today, uh, including discussion on the PS5 Pro, uh, and of course resident evil 4 the remake among many others plus the questions uh it's gonna be a good time so let's get into it all right gentlemen the first thing we're gonna talk about today is a game that i have been covering uh and also oliver is gonna be covering as well we're teaming up on this again to make sure that we get lots of coverage out there but you might have noticed by now that the review embargo has passed and our coverage is not up and before we talk about the game perhaps we should address that like some others, we are going to be launching our Resident Evil 4 videos starting on launch day. So there are some pretty strong restrictions in terms of pre-launch capture. It's basically like the demo area and one other area. So it really kind of limits what we can show. So we decided we're just going to go ahead and wait until the launch day. And that's why we did one, the preview video, the demo, and two today, we're going to talk about some of the technical things that might help you sort of figure out which version you want to buy. So if you're a day one consumer and you're like curious, like what is the state of Resident Evil for the final version? Does it fix the demo problems? That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So Alex, I, I don't know how much you've seen of this, Will, but I've been talking with Alex about uh, my experiences thus far. And I think you did sample the full version as well. Yeah, right? I, I did download it on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. And basically the, the, the issues that we talked about in the demo that were like, I would say the most pressing was image quality on PlayStation 5 and controls on Xbox Series consoles. See, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. Uh, basically, the uh, the issue that it feels like on the series consoles is something about with the aiming sticks. It's hard to say exactly what it is. It feels like a dead zone issue uh, for one part, where like where you move the stick to the left and right in the demo, uh, and it doesn't start moving the camera left and right until actually a pretty high amount of degrees of that stick is actually bent. It almost feels like ten degrees. <laughs> it's it seems yeah. like more than you would expect. And in the PlayStation 5 version, there's kind of two issues with the image quality there. One is if you leave chromatic aberration with lens distortion on, uh, the game has a really, really poor image quality. And I, when I was doing the demo originally, uh, I was sending off uh, images to the, the team and saying, I'm counting 1080p here, guys. Uh, basically, What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? And for some reason, turning on lens distortion with chromatic aberration really destroys the image quality on PlayStation 5. But beyond that, there's also um, just the general image quality not being up to par with something like Series X for reasons that we don't really know. 
um, when you turn it off with, and mm-hmm. also the performance as well too. So the you know those performance with the VRR modes and whether or not you need to use ray tracing and hair. John has been playing. John, give us the lowdown on these two core issues. Uh, so yeah, um, first of all, the PS5 image quality from the demo that is still an issue in the final build. Uh, specifically if you have chromatic aberration and lens distortion enabled. However, they're performing this operation on PS5. It just causes this double pixel effect. It almost looks like a nearest neighbor scale from a lower resolution. It kind of feels like it's been double scaled. It's really ugly and it looks terrible. So definitely turn that off. And honestly, I would say turn that off for all versions because I don't really think it enhances. It just, it just makes the image look a little muddier than it should. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one thing, but on the positive side, they did fix the ray tracing issues. So Alex, you noted in that video that uh, the, the distance that was rendered out within the BVH structure was extremely limited on PS five. So like even a structure, just a few meters from the player would not show up in the reflection. Whereas it does on PC and Xbox, that is fixed. The final version is now more consistent with those other versions, so that's good. And in fact, if you're using VRR on the PS5 in performance mode, you can play at a very stable rate. It feels very smooth and consistent, so uh, that's actually not a bad way to play it. Um, but on so the Xbox side, then, the controller issue. I've seen reports... Well, actually... I've seen reports from people saying, oh, the final version fixes the image quality on PS5 and fixes the controls on Xbox, and that is false. It does not fix these. They are <laughs> oh, no. ex- they are still a problem. Uh, there may have been some tweaks to it, but not enough to make any difference, and it ends up feeling still very heavy. And I think, Alex, you mentioned the dead zone, but I also think there's an issue with the acceleration curve where, so you have this big dead zone, it feels like you push it out to a certain level before it starts to respond, but then it takes even more time before it actually moves at an acceptable rate. And you can kind of adjust this stuff, but I was not able to get it to the point where it actually felt responsive. And I actually noticed as well that the PC version, when played with an Xbox controller, feels less good too which is interesting. And he, and the thing there is like you can just switch to mouse and keyboard and it feels ultra responsive, more so than any other version, but then you switch to an Xbox pad and it suddenly feels mushy. So in my eyes, it's 100% just, there's a problem with the way they've implemented the camera controls uh, on some platforms. PS5, I think, controls much better and it's basically what you would expect. Uh, I still think mouse and keyboard in this case is more responsive. It feels really great, but... Uh, there's definitely something up with the controls, and I really hope Capcom can fix this because conceivably Series X then if has that wider VRR window available, which means you can use the more taxing options and still have a smooth experience if you have a VRR screen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Will, do you have a VRR screen, by the way? I, I do. I assume you do, yeah. right? Yeah, I've got the B9 OLED, which I think has the VRR, thankfully. It should, yeah, um, I believe. So... That's so weird. It's is there any technical reason that an Xbox controller would need different settings than a PlayStation one? I always kind of assumed they were just oh, I mean the they, same deal. There might be some sort of like implementation difference, but in terms of the actual like result, they should be able to achieve exactly the same thing, and they do in other games. So this is this is this is a Capcom issue. They they've messed something up. It's bizarre. And it kind of calls back to some of the other differences we see uh, between the platforms, sometimes with these RE Engine games that are just kind of indescribable. It's almost like there's two different QA passes 
for platforms, like one set of priorities for another and another. It's kind of like the reason why even in this version of Art Re Resident Evil 4 Remake on PC, like the TAA and the sharpening just seems very different than every other version. It's the same here in this game. So it just seems to be a different QA process, maybe per platform, that causes this to arise. Yeah, so it's... um. It's a very strange thing, but I will say, uh, aside from those issues, uh, the game itself is very technically cromulent with a beautiful visual design. I think they've done an excellent job sort of revamping the look and feel of the game. And they've also made some really interesting changes that I want to talk more about in the video uh, focused on like how the game progresses, right? I would argue RE4 has basically perfect pacing in its original form. As I mentioned to you, Alex, it's extremely well done. Uh, but I actually like when a remake takes some liberties with the overall design and flow of the experience, as they've done here, because it makes it more interesting to revisit because you are getting a new experience, right? Like many of us have played RE4 many, many times, so just re-experiencing that exact game wouldn't be great. Whereas this actually takes a page from like the RE2 remake, where it's like, okay, we're going to make some pretty significant changes to the overall layout. And specifically, that means that each of the key environments, specifically the, the village area, the castle, and the island, are now designed as hub worlds. So there is more interconnectivity between the different areas without loading screens. Uh, there is additional exploration that's possible, new puzzles added to the mix. So sometimes progression will be blocked by like, say, you need these two I uh, items, similar to any Resident Evil game. Sometimes they're crests, sometimes they're like skulls, <laughs> sometimes there's some other dude. Very Resident Evil. Yep. But uh, one instance, you know, like that whole lake area in where you fight the the large lake del lago or whatever he's called on the Cargant. i guess that is the lego the the, the lake uh <laughs> when you fight him with this with the harpoons across the lake afterward it spits you back out on the docks and now you're actually able to find another boat hop back in that boat and then putter around the lake and there's multiple stops all around the lake all lit by these bright torches so you can kind of parse the whole landscape just by glancing out across it and you actually need to hunt down these items to proceed. And that is something that wasn't really in the original game. Uh, and it doesn't slow things down either. It adds some nice tension to it. And there are more quiet moments that are more focused on horror, I think, in this one. Uh, like Leon now has a flashlight, which he hold, kind of holds up like that, which is how it was in the, if you guys remember that original GameCube demo that was shown off. Uh, the, uh, the older one. Yeah, the yeah. pre-release before they changed the style, they had Leon holding the flashlight in that exact exact same sort of position, uh, exploring the house uh, that is now in here. I think that that's a cool throwback. It's really, really excellent in terms of game design. Capcom has just been kicking butt lately. Aside from the RE3 remake, which I'm not a huge fan of, I think like all the Resident Evil stuff has just been top tier, and this is no exception, right? Any other comments or questions from this gentleman? Anything you want to ask me about it? Uh, uh, not really. The only thing I want to tell also the audience here, too, is that uh, in regards to covering this uh, for next week, you know, it takes a little bit to make a PC version. We have to have access to the game. And, you know, as a result of that, I don't think I'll be there for a launch like John and Oliver will be. It may take a little bit longer. And also then there's The Last of Us Part 1 coming out soon enough, uh, which also requires a lot of coverage from us. So be patient with PC stuff, but it'll it'll be worth the wait. 
Yeah, we don't have either of those PC versions currently. No, we do as not. Of recording. <laughs> as of recording. So. so you cannot even begin your work, which is uh, frustrating. Yeah, so it goes, so it goes. So as for our content plans for RE4, so I'm going to be doing uh, the video focusing on the new game versus the original RE4 and RE4 HD version. And I'll probably also look at that sort of like uh, enhanced version that's been floating around on the PC lately because that seems extremely well done. Uh, I'll also be discussing, you know, I'll, I'll include some minor platform notes, but by and large, it's going to be focused on the visuals and how it compares against the original and the changes they've made and, you know, enhancements to the RE engine and all that kind of stuff. And then the second video from Oliver will be diving into all the different platforms, including last gen, which uh, includes PS4 and PS4 Pro. Which, by the way, uh, Alex, in the video, I noted that the PS4 base does not have options, but apparently Pro does have a performance mode. That's. But I actually, I, <laughs> Weird. I as I mentioned on Twitter, I, I don't know how it happened, but I can't find my PS4 Pro. Oh, John, man. we ate it's it. The, this is the only time this has ever happened in my entire life where I've misplaced a console. It has to be here somewhere, but I, <laughs> it's not where it should be, and I don't know where it went. I can't even That's imagine so where it would be at your place. I don't know. Look under a bed. <laughs> I, I'm completely baffled by it. Like, I must have stuck it somewhere thinking, oh, I'll put my imp the important thing in this place so I can find it easily. Sure, And yeah. then it will be, you know how that happens, and then yeah. it's lost forever. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be here somewhere, but that was that was a bit shocking. I spent like an hour looking for it. And never found oh, it. No. oh, my goodness. No. I don't know where, I don't I, know where it went. I'm, I'm happy that I lack the space for that issue to crop up. It's usually just small <laughs> things I lose. Like, I, like if I were to lose like a console or a PC, that would be a rare day. <laughs> it's rare for me, too, so yeah. I'm embarrassed by that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find it and get Soldier it back up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. I did find all my PS triples, though. I have a bunch. I think I have like five or six wow, at damn. this point. So. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, that's enough on Resident Evil 4, so let's move on to the next topic. This was sort of a point of discussion this week by many people following the game industry, and it's the rumors of a potential PS5 Pro. It was reported by InsiderGaming.com. Uh, I'm not convinced necessarily that this will happen, but uh, I am fascinated by the discussions around it. And I think we have a lot to say as to whether the PS5 Pro is even a good idea at all. Uh, Alex, yeah, sure. is it a good idea? No, <laughs> the answer is no. The reason why it's not okay. a good idea, there's like, there's almost twofold reasons why I think it's not a good idea. For one is that the the current generation has kind of not started in a good, in a like a really fast way. The, the rate of pickup is high enough, but there aren't enough consoles out there to um, kind of kick cross-gen out of the way people are still developing games in a cross-gen manner. And because there's essentially still not enough PS5, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S's out there from the publisher's perspective to justify it. And right now we have the Xbox Series S, X, the original Xbox One, Xbox One X, PS4, PS4 Pro, and then one PS5, um, not including the digital edition there. That's already a lot of consoles, including PC, then if we once they kick out current gen, we'll have a much simpler current generation portfolio of consoles and PC to be worrying about. Adding in another one on the PlayStation PlayStation side is just going to complicate development in a way that I don't see what the purpose for it is necessarily. I, I don't see like what it'll bring to the table there. And then that's kind of the second part. I don't think a theoretical PlayStation 5 Pro 
based upon the current node that we are on and the, the way RDNA is developing or the way Zen is developing from the CPU perspective is going to offer for the money and size and power consumption of a console, a really meaningful upgrade to a lot of people. Uh, and I mean that rather seriously. Uh, I don't I don't think there is in the AMD portfolio within the wattage of a console, something very, that much yep. better than a PlayStation 5 at the moment that is worth I, it. Yep. So yeah, that's the way I feel about this. <laughs> I think you're exactly spot on there, Alex. And yes, there is the discussion around whether it's a good idea or not, but I think the more important point is that AMD does not have anything in their portfolio that could actually deliver a meaningful leap forward. And this time there is no technology to target that would potentially right? make it worthwhile. Last time it was 4K televisions, right? Yeah. Uh, this time, AK, AK is not worth it. It doesn't have the, the uptick. I could argue that a pro model could potentially focus more on 120 hertz, and that would be great, but I don't think that's enough of a focus, and I still don't think the AMD hardware is there for it. Like, they just don't have anything that would that could be consolidated into an SoC for use on a PS5 Pro that would actually make this worthwhile. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, and so just with that, I kind of feel like there's no way that this is going to happen. And if it does happen, good Lord, I it doesn't seem like it would be a very great product. I don't know, Will. I mean, how, how do you feel about this? Are, are you excited about a potential PS5 Pro or are you just <laughs> in the same boat as us? Like, I'm, no, I'm all on board the PS5 Pro boat. Let's, let's go. <laughs> let's make pro consoles every Whoa. year. Whoa. Every, every year yeah, it's a new console. console. It's like a phone. You just throw away the old one, get a new one. <laughs> heavily e subsidized let's do this yeah. e-waste e the platform um yeah obviously e is, is my other <laughs> I, no go ahead i was gonna say e-waste e, e is is my uh, other term for esports yeah <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> as says yeah uh, as an esports fan that's harsh i was gonna say um, yeah we'll sorry like no no it's all good um so yeah i i think yeah you guys have pretty much outlined it there's there you could make a faster box that looks like a playstation and runs playstation games but it would have to be you know so much faster for it to actually be worthwhile if you just say to developers hey guys there's a ps5 pro that you have to target now and also there's still a ps5 that people have owned and also there's still a ps4 and ps4 pro yeah, like it would just be crazy um i mean I'm just trying to think, like, obviously the report says that they would be phasing out the existing one and moving to a new one but, I mean, does that even make sense? If it has I, faster RT, would that be something that people would upgrade no. to? I think the main thing here that we're likely to see is a slim model rather than a pro model. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I suspect there will be a revision of the PS5 that is smaller and cleaner looking. Sure. Uh, that is something that I would expect. But I really don't see the purpose in this. As you guys said, the software just isn't there. There's, there's not enough that would actually excite consumers to make this worthwhile. And heck, with the PS4 Pro beyond the 4K TV, there was also that push for PSVR 1, if you remember. Yeah. And the Pro was more capable of handling VR. So there was a two-pronged reason for building that machine. Whereas now there just isn't anything. Oh, maybe yeah. the PS5 Pro will be the uh, thing that means that PSVR 2 games will actually be 120 Hurts <laughs> instead of 60 yeah, instead of 60. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting thing but also at that point in time i don't think the economies of scale allow for the ps 
5 Pro in its theoretical existence to be cheap. Yeah, uh, exactly. I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be a normal console price at that point. Anyway, uh, uh, this just doesn't exist right now. Uh, there's so many things. Uh, I, I also think in the RDNA roadmap, based upon what we're seeing with RDNA three and the current die shrink, like I don't actually see the power portfolio there for like a meaningful PS five replacement at the moment. The uh, one thing, Alex, that I was thinking about. I, I don't think this is feasible, but. I would like to see a consoleized take on a frame generation. I mean, we know that AMD would like to target frame generation going mm -hmm. forward, right? Yeah, it's conceivable that they could have something in the works. Uh, if you were to build a console, a fixed platform, and the games were built with frame generation in mind, I mean, that could be interesting, right? In terms of just aiming for higher frame rates whenever possible. I think that uh, would be a, a great thing. Uh, it would seem... I mean, if that that so that's actually based on the way Nvidia has is doing it uh, with Tensor Cores as well as with uh, their new encoder engine uh, th that allows kind of DLSS three to come into life in the first place to be in a, like a short enough amount of frame time to actually be worth it from an input latency perspective, which is something that TVs don't do usually. Um, then yeah, that would be interesting. That would be a hardware revision kind of like the Xbox One S where they added in things like HDR um, as well as a little bit more speed uh, there on the GPU side to account for HDR where I could almost see that being more possible, but that would be a really quick turnaround time because DLSS 3 yeah. had a had a really long development history. It's like I, I five think, or six years. Exactly. I don't think it's feasible from yeah. that unless they've been, I mean, Intel did, Tom Peterson suggested they had been working on it as well, right? So yeah. it's not impossible that AMD had been busy on it too, but given the way they, their sort of reactive release of various technologies, I'm not sure we would see it so quickly. Uh, yeah, that sounds uh, really quick for I, 2024. I, I actually think DLSS 3 frame generation could be potentially more interesting for whatever Nintendo is working on next. Mm -hmm. Sure, right? yeah, I agree like, with that. If NVIDIA were to specifically build a part of the, the, the SOC to handle frame generation, the necessary components and, you know, slim it down enough to actually fit within the budget constraints and the power constraints and all that. It could be like a game changer for that system. For I sure. Think. My goodness. And yeah. they're, they're better positioned to pull that off. I think given NVIDIA's current state in the market, but AMD, I don't know. I just, I just don't see it happening. So yeah, this uh, might be a PS six kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I, I think that I think that's more realistic given the timescales that we've seen so far and how late this generation started in terms of uptick, just because of the COVID and the the the, the looming crisis of sure. you know semiconductors. Um, so that that's kind of how I feel about this. I, I would I definitely don't want to see it, and I don't think it's very plausible. So. Also. Sony has only recently caught up with the demand of PlayStation 5. People are finally able... Oh, I bumped my mic again. Just like It's like we're playing a Horizon <laughs> video again. Uh, people are finally able to get their hands on the system, and I think the demand is strong. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense to suddenly pull the rug out from everybody. Especially, you know, let's say you buy one sometime this year, and then at the end of the year, they're like, oh, now here's this pro model. After you've waited for years to be able to get the chance to even purchase the original unit... That's not going to make people happy, I think. And it's just, it's not exciting. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird admittance, too, that the PlayStation 5 is not like an eternal console. 
in terms of like how powerful it is. Like it kind of goes against their <laughs> it goes against their messaging about how powerful it, 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 PlayStation <laughs> Five is. Alex, uh, well, it does. So, like, it kind of I know, like, I know. It's like, oh, you need an out pro version to actually get the best version. Of the that, game. It's like eh. that narrative is funny though. Like <laughs> infinite power. You know. <laughs> The, the consoles, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a fun thing to play with marketing-wise, but yeah, they're never they're never the most powerful. Let's be honest, for good reason. I mean, the PS5 costs what, like one third of a of a forty ninety. Yeah, yeah even, la- so, even less. In, even in, uh, less. So, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, you know, it's uh, you can't compete with that. Consoles have to be made at a much lower cost, and they're pretty darn good, I'd say, for what they are. Right? Yeah, oh, they're sure. great. And for I, cost. I just don't see the need to upgrade. That is, unless. Uh, they're willing to bring Rise of the Tomb Raider back, in which case then we need <laughs> then another... We would need to cover it again. We need it. We need a, a PS5 Pro version of Rise of the Tomb Raider. I think that would probably sell units right there to upgrade <laughs> the yeah. game again. Ported by Nixies. Uh, ported by Nixies, exactly. Uh, but I think that's probably enough to say for it. I hope we don't see this, at least not anytime soon. Uh, I don't think it would be worthwhile, and boy, it would be annoying to cover, wouldn't it? adding yep. yet another console to the mix oh my uh, goodness but, yeah. but hey we'll there see we what are. happens uh let's move on to the next topic gentlemen the steam deck is very popular and valve recently shot down my own dreams by suggesting that swapping in an oled screen may not be the easiest thing in the world so uh on an article on pc gamer they actually mentioned that uh, they do like the idea of an oled screen but it would not be possible to just retroactively fit such a panel directly into the current steam deck without re-engineering the innards to some degree so but that does give us some hope don't you think there alex yeah for this um i'm i'm of the school where i've been using the steam deck mainly as just an emulation machine or Mm. for or turok or for i did play turok at it um (laughs) but also um kind of like uh I like handheld devices for turn-based strategy games uh, where I think like you don't need a mouse and keyboard for that. And I feel like it's really good. And so therefore I haven't been so bothered by the screen, but if I were using this for premier experiences, like your AA, AAA 3D graphics games that are from like the Xbox One or PS4 era, then I would say the screen can be a little bit of a of a down point when you look at it in comparison to the other offerings like the Switch OLED. So this is a little bit sad in the aspect of it kind of shoots down the idea that they could maybe had an, have an updated version of the Steam Deck or a pro version of the Steam Deck that just kind of like their more expensive version of the Steam Deck they have right now uh, offers a more premier experience for those who want to pay a little bit more. So that's a little sad here, but I think, you know, Will, do you think they're hinting here that the the next version of the Steam Deck could have OLED? Yeah, why not? I mean, I think it's hard to read too much into this. I mean, it it would make sense from a, a demand point of view that they've been seeing a lot of questions like, when can we get the OLED version? Is there going to be an OLED version? Do you guys hate OLED or something? Um, and I think most of the time, companies will see that and be like yeah actually you know an oled model does make sense clearly they have the example of the switch which is absolutely lovely in its oled iteration and i think that proves that you can certainly do something with the these kinds of constraints and get something that you know is actually meaningful and significant and makes sense but um yeah it's obviously not as easy as just you know kind of 
taking out one screen and putting in another and then everything just working exactly the same. I think Valve are very famous for tweaking things continually and really like trying to nail all the details, which is why the Steam Deck is such a good console in the first place, right? Yeah, so that's great. It's, it's, it's difficult to see them just doing something without really understanding the, the actual impact of it. And I think what the statement kind of suggests is that it's something that they're looking at, but they haven't yet come to a decision about whether or not it's something that they can do without sacrificing too much elsewhere. Um, as well, mm -hmm. it could be something that comes maybe for a second gen Steam Deck in, you know, say a few years rather than next year or in a few months. <laughs> I think they don't want to split their player base <laughs> too significantly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's only a year old at this point. In time, exactly right. Back. So so it, it doesn't feel like long, but it's also you know it's a PC in terms of the fact that it it can be easily upgraded as we're seeing with Rich's video looking at the was it the Ion the Ionia Ionia two. two. It's really good. Really good from a performance form yeah. factor uh, perspective. But one thing that they said the last time regarding Steam Deck is they're actually kind of happy with the current performance level. Uh, of the Steam Deck, it's more that they would like want to upgrade things like battery life, I believe was the, the last thing they commented on, uh, which I feel like is the Steam Deck's like current Achilles heel most of the time, where if you are playing a double A, triple A game, even at like a 30 to 40 FPS cap, I've noticed that it can definitely chew through battery life quite a lot. Um, you don't have yeah. that switch level of battery life with a Steam Deck. Primarily, I would like to see, I would be very happy with the Steam Deck as it is in terms of performance if you know, they could essentially create a slim version, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't need to be a next generation Steam Deck, but like, I mean, clearly they're saying here that they're not going to just stick an OLED screen in the current <laughs> model, but a refined model that maybe has a, a reduction in terms of inter internal size of the various components somehow fit an OLED screen in there. And I think an OLED screen would need to be VRR. Mm -hmm. That is yeah. something like that the, would be a big the, re, the refresh rate adjustment stuff that's available on Steam Deck is very, very cool. But I think just VRR itself would basically solve all those issues entirely and just, you know, let people kind of experience games as they want without having to worry about reaching that specific cap. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a tweaking thing. Like you have to spend more time tweaking because of the variable cap when you make the decision on a per game basis. Uh, but with VRR and then let's say like you could cap to 55 and the VRR is below that window or something like that, that'd be super game changing uh, for something like Steam Deck. I would love that uh, almost a little bit more than OLED actually, maybe. Yeah, it's just, man, the, the screen on the current Steam Deck is just so bad. It looks it looks okay with bright content, but anything that has any sort of contrast or dark details, shadow, uh, it's terrible. Yeah, um, so I've seen people in the comments below articles covering this, even the PC Gamer article, uh, saying that you just need to install a vibrancy mod. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, geez, no, vibrancy is not what an OLED does. Uh, that That is no. that's just like kind of what an OLED is about. It's actually about pixel response. It's about black levels. It's about, it's about so much more. Being able to individually address each pixel and completely disable them or yeah. essentially go to zero black uh, or... A high brightness it's that pixel control that matters a lot and yeah i mean the first game i ever played on a steam deck was the resident evil 2 remake oh no. it was immediately apparent that that was a bad choice for the steam deck. <laughs> uh just yeah the poor black levels the the glowingly bright backlight it's all bad it does mm -hmm. not look good it feels like a very cheap lcd 
and I'm sure it was in order to save on other aspects of the machine to get it down to the price point that they've reached, which is pretty impressive. So yeah, I will continue to hold out until that day arrives when we can see an OLED screen in there, but it sounds like it won't be anytime soon, disappointingly. But for now, gentlemen, perhaps we should move on to the next topic, perhaps even the best topic. <laughs> <laughs> dropping things <laughs> it's so, time for the esports minute i'm john lemon we're here to talk about esports 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 counter-strike e 2 it's hot it's coming it's real you got knives you get those knives you run faster you shoot people you win games it's esports 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 i'm playing esports right now on these uh ar glasses look I'm, there's esports in here there's so right much esports <laughs> happening in front of me when i made that e-waste joke earlier i was just fooling y'all i love esports but we have our real esports master right here his name is will judd he's sitting right there will talk to us about counter-strike 2 why is it so exciting like let, let's get the esports hype going esports esports e e all right yeah. will talk okay to us so um counter-strike is uh maybe being updated to the source 2 version of source <laughs> which is very exciting for everyone the the weird thing about this is that we don't really expect the game to radically change, but it's just the fact that Counter-Strike Global Offensive as a game has been evolving so slowly and for such a long period that any kind of um, movement behind the scenes is very exciting. Uh, over the past, I would say, year or two, the kind of... Uh, the updates to Counter-Strike have slowly kind of slowed and they've become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And now there's finally the possibility that we could see some big changes behind the scenes that then let the other content start to flow more freely again. So mm -hmm. the way this was discovered was very interesting. Um, somebody called Gabe Follower looked into the <laughs> NVIDIA drivers and discovered support for applications called CSGO2 and CS2.exe, which is like... Uh, yes. The, Nvidia the is the king of leaks. Gun. Nvidia is the leak master. <laughs> oh hail Jensen! <laughs> I mean, we have seen this before, right? We we saw yes. at, at some point, uh, maybe in the last year or two, we saw like a big list of games that were reportedly, you know, found in those files, and then mm -hmm. most of them, as far as I know, have come out, right? Yeah, is that Jensen's, Jensen's prophecy? prophecy. Jensen's yeah. prophecy is one exactly. of the best video game leaks that ever happened. So, yeah. <laughs> so th this. Is, from, from that point of view, it seems believable. There was a report from uh, Richard Lewis on his Substack that you know he'd spoken to people and it was actually going to happen. Um, it is also, besides for changing things under the hood and making the game easier to develop, because I understand that's kind of a big problem for Counter-Strike or any software project of this uh, age, is that after a certain point, if you're a new person coming into the project, it's so difficult to work out how to make changes without just ruining everything else. There's so <laughs> many bugs, there's so much spaghetti code that it's really difficult to actually do the things that you want to do. So hopefully updating to a new version of Source would help with that kind of thing. But it's also could include things that are, would be really good for the competitive side. So at the moment, the official matchmaking servers are 64 tick. So they send updates 64 times a second. But all of the esports side of things all run on 128-bit servers, and we see community matchmaking services that offer this as well. But the actual in-game stuff is all 64. All the official stuff is 64. So by increasing the tick rate, in theory, things would become, you know, more accurate, more fine-grained. There would be fewer instances of things just being suspiciously weird and different. For example, in the game, when you when you jump and throw a grenade 
you have to do you have to aim at a different point in the sky or whatever else you're aiming at if it's a 64 or a 128 bit server uh tick server and wow. that's so weird and so you know it's so strange that the actual core competitive element of the game is up here at 128 and then the game everyone actually plays in matchmaking is down here so there's clearly some advantages to this it's been teased and every day i've i've looked on the counter-strike subreddit and there's always mm -hmm. been like oh they've changed something they've updated a blog they're doing something behind the scenes and because steam is so well known and there's so many people looking at steam and trying to work out what's going on behind the scenes that we're getting all these hints but so far nothing yet so 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 will yes uh Sorry, if I'm it came out no, that's great. I'm excited. I, <laughs> I like Counter-Strike, but I haven't played Go that much at all. Yeah. Um, so if they did come out with a beta, uh, what map would you like to see as a part of the beta, actually? I mean, the obvious answer is Tuscan or some of the other really old maps that haven't properly been updated uh, and made part of Global Offensive. I'm sure mm -hmm. at some point there, there was a map list that was kind of leaked. And I think it was generally the, the maps that have previously been in the game. So I don't think it's going to be a, a big shakeup from that point of view. But yeah, was Tuscan part of that list? Let me let me let me check. I, I don't know. I was thinking ba based upon like the previous release of CS Source and CSGO, if they would do Aztec uh, again. But well, uh, I have done was... Aztec before, but it yeah, hasn't yeah. yet like kind of reached the I mean, it's it's played. So I think it would be. It yeah, it's it's a matter of like what's played most and what they would want to iterate on as well to show that Source mm. 2 is doing something different. One thing I was thinking about is if they are moving to Source 2 is whether or not they would bring in some of that Alex tech into it at all. For example, like CSGO <laughs> was like this later version of Source that added in real-time shadow maps, and that's what gives its, oh, yeah. it look, its mm -hmm. look, but it also kind of has like pretty rudimentary source lighting otherwise. And I was curious because like Alex uses like really good indirect lighting that's baked. Sure. And seeing that in Counter-Strike would actually make the maps look incredible while still being really oh, yeah. performant because Half-Life mm. Alex, I mean, ran on like a GTX 1060 at like a really high frame rate, surprisingly, in a in VR, VR. In VR, yeah. which is more expensive. True, yeah. Um, so I, I would actually kind of love to see those artistic updates that Alex had being brought into Counter-Strike. Um, one thing that I would be curious about it's been a while since CSGO has been updated from a, like a graphical or like yeah. system requirement standpoint Still and whether or not this, this CS2 Go version would also mean that they it's fully Vulcan and uh, if it requires then a higher min spec, which would mm. like, you know, previous versions like when Source came out or Go came out, they also required a higher min spec. So... I'm curious to see if that will also be as part of this iteration of it. I hope it is, honestly. Yeah, it's curious because, you know, when those new versions of Counter-Strike came out for a while, they kind of splintered the player base. They so we had, we had 1.6 and then we had Source and then, you know, some people tried Source and a, a, probably a minority stuck with it. And then it was mm -hmm. only over time that everyone kind of caught up and that became the new standard. And for years afterward, people were still playing 1.6, even though Source was the latest. And then the same thing with Global Offensive. It launched in a way that wasn't great. And then, you know, slowly <laughs> 1.6 and Source moved over there in terms of esports. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, it would make sense if they did it as a beta and said, you know, we really want to make sure that we're getting everything up. Everything works as expected. We can use this for esports um, before they actually say, okay, guys, now everyone is going to the new version. Because it, it would be 
really, uh, I think, disastrous for Counter-Strike's growth if some pro teams or some tournament organizers just said, oh, actually, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to upgrade. They yeah. need to do it in a way that, you know, people aren't being left behind on lower-end hardware. And I'm, I think in 2023 yeah. it makes sense, but... The, the, the one thing I saw is the other day a report that CSGO had just seen its largest play, uh, active players in at one time, most yep. recently. It was just this last month or just a few weeks ago. Um, and that's super impressive for such an old game. <laughs> like, it's incredibly I- I- impressive. Um, I kind of love that. It just kind of shows, I don't know, that Counter-Strike is eternal. And it's 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 very different. It plays so differently than Call of Duty and it plays it's so much slower and about like careful aiming with no iron sights and all these things that i i actually do kind of like the cs model of multiplayer because it's round based you're not instantly responding yep yep there's there's so much to actually like there the teamwork is much higher it is yeah. so much higher um so i'm excited to, i'm excited about this too i would actually play it i would love to cover it so yeah, yeah nice. i'll, I'll be awesome. i'll be real with you guys like um i haven't played counter strike since the old days and uh but the thing is, is like that actually it sounds very appealing and it is actually pretty darn interesting conceptually f- for me. Uh, but I feel like at this point, I've been away from it so long that there's zero hope of actually competing. <laughs> and that sure. kind of keeps me from even giving it a shot. So, Will, like, let's say you're somebody that has not touched this game in a long time. Yeah. You're not really into I mean, I may look like Mr. Esports, but I'm really not. This is just <laughs> this is just a, a persona. I'm an esports poser right now. That's what's happening. Right. Uh, but let's say you're in that position and you were interested in Counter Strike. Is there a good entry point way to sort of like stick your toe in there and have some fun without getting absolutely destroyed? <laughs> um, I think it's important to underline the fact that the competitive mode is not the only mode. There is like a casual mode where it's twice as many people, which is just pure 16? chaos but that could be good <laughs> if you're trying to learn you know the controls and the basics of aiming and stuff like that but uh what i would say is that there's actually a lot of really fun uh simpler game modes you know just more deathmatch kind of style stuff where you don't have to think about the strategy too much and you can really get your eye in and get comfortable with the just the, the mechanics of the game and there's also a ton of community content. You know, the, one of the best parts about Counter-Strike is that it's super moddable, right? So you can be doing things like running away from zombies in a survival horror kind of vibe, or you can be, you know, surfing, or you can be doing other things that are completely, you know, outside of the box of what normal competitive Counter-Strike is. Whoa, that are more wait. co-op, more fun. Did Sorry, you, what? Did you say surfing? Oh, yeah, yeah. So like- this... This isn't surfing like, in the traditional sense. No, I'll, I'll this send is you like some oh, this is like skating on rails, like Jet Force, uh, not Jet Force, uh, Jet Set Radio Future, almost. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. But I mean, there's all these different experiences you can have in the Counter Strike engine that you know will make okay. you understand some base level of the game, right? But they're not as you know kind of competitively minded, not so challenging, more cooperative, more fun like that. But I would say that you know another thing is that. The actual competitive side of the game, um, because it's so popular and because it's retained its uh, popularity for so long, the actual matchmaking is pretty good. Because if you go in having never played, there will be a lot of other people like you at any given point of time. So you mm-hmm, can actually right. go in there and not worry so much about, um, you know, not being able to carry the game in, in, in a way that you would feel obliged to if you were a more experienced player. So, yeah. Hmm. Come play maybe we'll have to set up a uh, 
We'll have to set up a DF Discord uh, yeah. Counter Strike match sometime. Yeah, oh my god, we could set up get a our community faces server rocked off, oh and god. then yeah, see what the community has to offer. Bring it. So guys. with community with community servers, do do they accessible over the server browser? Or yeah, does yeah, it require? That's right. Yeah, okay. And you can invite people through Steam and stuff like that. So it's all. Are there public community service as well too that you yeah, can yeah, just join up like straight up? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't played that. I've only done the matchmaking in CS:GO. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, that's uh, that's the esports minute. That was a lot of esports. <laughs> that but was a lot of minutes. Actually, it sounds it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. exciting. It sounds like it kind of flies in the face of a lot of the other t- modern like numbers go up style of oh, uh, it's game way design. Different. Yeah, yeah. For so sure. uh, there is there's certainly a, an appeal there. I just haven't thought about it for so long. So maybe it's time to actually give Counter Strike yeah. a proper shot. Yeah, we should do that if you. If you're part of the Patreon, we should probably set up uh, one of those matches one of these days and yeah, watch as Will destroys us all. <laughs> Headshot. I think that would happen. Uh, I will talk real quick before we move on. I, these things here, these Veecher XR or One XR uh, AR glasses. This is something I want to write up at some point on uh, Eurogamer. Have you guys seen these things? No, I no. thought you were BSing us about the AR glasses. No, I thought these, are, <laughs> these, these are actually AR glasses, right? Oh my and goodness. The idea is that uh, it actually has, it projects, you can kind of see it there. It actually projects an image directly into your field of view, and it can be either opaque or transparent. And uh, it, it gives the impression of a very large, super crisp and bright screen directly in front of your eyes. And you can connect this to any sort of HDMI source. Uh, there's different ways to connect it. It uses a little magnetic cable system here that attaches to the side, which nice. is really cool. So, you That's know, if nuts. you like, jerk your head, it doesn't like cause the device to fall on the floor, right? It even has like a dock for both Steam Deck and Switch where you essentially mount the little HDMI thing onto the back of the Switch or the Steam Deck like it's just a battery. And then you plug in, you can plug in two pairs of these at once so two people can see the same screen at one time. So you can actually share it on like on a plane or like on transit or something. That's really cool. And uh, the image quality and everything is like shockingly good. And even better, it actually has these little dials here that lets you dial in. It has a limited range of uh, prescription uh, types, like lens adjustments to simulate uh, a glasses prescription. So for me, I'm able to just, I can just wear these without prescription glasses because you can't wear them at the same time and just adjust the dial and suddenly you can actually see it very clearly. This thing sounds is, super futuristic, John. But for those that, <laughs> that go outside of that range for the glasses prescription, they actually have little uh, custom lenses you can get that magnetically snap on to the top. So uh, I am so fascinated by these. They, they I can't believe like they're a little bulky for normal glasses, but you guys saw them and didn't think that these were actually AR. No, glasses, yeah, right? I thought they were just some like, sunglasses and, or something. Yeah. No, they, it's it's legit. It's extremely cool. So, uh, yeah. I actually tested something similar to this maybe a couple of years ago, and the, okay. they were about this thick on the front, oh. and I put them on, and after about maybe 20 minutes of use, I felt like a burning sensation, <laughs> and they were, like, heating up so much it was actually, like, hurting me, so I had to take them off, and I just put that them in a box n- and never used them again. That is not the case here. These okay, things run very cool, and they're, they're very lightweight and not that bulky, so... Yeah, uh, that's awesome. That's Pretty awesome. cool stuff. Mm. But anyway, let's move on sure. to the last section. As always, at this part of the show, we take questions from our Patreon supporters, which you can get to on www.digitalfoundry.net. Join us. 
Come mm-hmm. hang out on the Discord, ask us questions, uh, just, you know, get some cool videos early, all that kind of good stuff. But of course, the Q&A is here, and we've picked some wonderful questions from our uh, lovely fans. So let's begin with this first question from Sibalacious. Sibalacious. I should, I should be- I see that pop up enough. I should be able to say that just like that, right? (laughs) He asks, or they ask, do you think the Xbox series consoles could see small internal improvements without a significant pro upgrade, such as improved SSD speeds, given their current solution is pretty slow by 2022 standards. What about an improved controller with haptics? Uh, Alex, what do you think? I have yet to see the use case for needing a faster SSD. Yeah, uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. They seem very fast, actually. Still. I mean, yeah, like I just like the RE4 demo. It's almost like the exact same between all the consoles I tried out. I didn't even talk about loading, but it's just like you're in game. It's like it really didn't matter uh, between PS5 or Xbox Series X. So I don't think that's an interesting upgrade. I would probably be more interested if they were to upgrade any of the series consoles with just a form factor change. I think I love the Series S and its size, but I think the Series X is still too big. I would just prefer that of anything. Yeah. Smaller version. Smaller version. Yeah. I don't know. What about you? Um, yeah, that's, I fear, I hope they keep the disc drive in there. I was oh, going to yes. say they, they should make a se- they should make a series S with a disc drive, but they don't care about that. It's, <laughs> it's, that's not important right now. I think to the business, it's, it's all about game pass. Uh, but you know, I would like to see a slimmer Xbox Series X. It would be cool, but I do actually quite like the design. It's significantly better than the PS5, which is yeah. just a monstrosity. <laughs> uh, the actually the the only thing I would actually want to see updated for Xbox Series X is the ability to use custom SSD drives. Yeah, no, that's a good one. That would be a like there smart there one. are adapters you can purchase, but apparently they have invalidated them through a firmware update at some point. No! You cannot use anything now. It's only the Seagate, I think they are, manufactured ones, the official first-party release. Uh, there's got to be more options because I'm, I'm desperate for more storage, but those things cost a lot. <laughs> like, you can't deal shop. Like, with the PS5, you can actually find good deals on SSDs, right? Uh, that doesn't really happen with those Seagate drives, so it would be awesome to have some additional options, right? Yeah, for sure. I uh, mean, there's basically no competition because Seagate you right. know, presumably has a certain manufacturing cost. And as long as they can keep prices higher, then they'll make more money. So why wouldn't they? Whereas, exactly. you know, when the, both uh, systems came out, you know, the uh, the price of a one terabyte SSD was probably about the same uh, between the two systems in terms of upgrades. But over time, I think we've probably seen maybe they're about fifty percent of the price on the PS5 PS5 yeah, side nowadays. Easily, so even two terabyte drives are coming under a hundred uh, pounds or a hundred dollars, which is just crazy. And we haven't seen anything like that on Xbox. So they need yeah. to at least have a second manufacturer or yeah, open up the the form factor in some other way because it's just really awkward to be an Xbox owner and just want more storage because you have basically no option. You have to just pay a lot for it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, aside from that, though, I think uh, the system's pretty good and doesn't really need any sort of major changes. I would say at this point. Yeah, it's okay. Good. It's fine. They're system. solid machines. So, mm-hmm. but speaking of the Xbox, our next question from Cedric Viba, he <laughs> says, 
Hey, DF peeps, there was a lot of discussion about the Series S in the last few weeks. The feature Direct ML was heavily promoted by Microsoft, and I wonder what we could see. I wonder what we could see with this in the future. Will it be an empty PR promise like uh, Minecraft, if you remember yeah, the, yeah. the art, the path trace version? Or will we see highly skilled studios such as Rockstar, The Coalition or ID doing magical things with it? It's a really abstract feature for me, and I have no clue what developers could achieve by using it smartly. Thanks for your godlike content. Love you guys. Greetings from Frankfurt. And greetings to you from Frankfurt as well. So, uh, Alex, what do you think about this one? I, I think this was another uh, kind of checklist thing on the Series X launch where not much has come of it. Uh, and it's a shame. Direct ML is just an API standard from Microsoft to uh, take advantage of any sort of machine learning hardware that is present in any device, really, that runs Windows or the Xbox environment, I guess. And in the Xbox Series X and Series S case, I guess, there's a little bit of extra acceleration in there uh, for certain machine learning functions. And the, it was the thing is when it when it came out and the Series X was being announced, it was already like slower. The Series X's machine learning performance was already slower than like an RTX twenty sixty, and at that point in time, it was like, hmm, how useful is this actually? And it, that was that was then, and we're at the point we are now. We haven't heard anything of that since then. I honestly don't think given FSR 2's existence now uh, that there may, it may, it just may be kind of a dead end for like a really big thing like FSR or yeah. DLSS. But I still think it has some usage uh, for other things that we haven't talked about before. For example, even though the PlayStation 5 doesn't use, uh, doesn't have like bespoke hardware in it for machine learning, um, we saw in, I believe it was the updates to Spider-Man Remastered, where they used probably something like a, like an FP16 machine learning thing oh, yeah. to make the muscles deform better on Spider-Man's suit when he moves his arms up and down. Wow. Like here, you'd actually get right, the, right. you'd actually get like the, the shoulders, like the, I forget what these are called, trap something maybe they're called Trapezius, that i don't know I don't, Trape I don't know what they're called but either way th <laughs> those muscles would would scrunch up more like they do on a real human being and that was done with machine learning and it's probably cheap even though it's not super accelerated because it's just a small function i think that's more of that could be done in a microsoft exclusive game maybe maybe mm. yeah. hmm. that's what i say any, any thoughts on this will uh not particularly unfortunately i think it's cool to have this and it would be interesting to see if we uh, get any developers in future that do something really cool with it but i think at the moment yeah it's not really the kind of extreme speed that would make it so that you really have to to, to find the use for it i think yeah. if you're a developer and you have an idea that happens to line up then maybe you say okay yeah yeah let's let's try and do it but I don't think anyone is going to be going, oh, we have all this untapped machine learning potential. We got to use it. Yeah, so, right. Mm, not sure. Mm, they could bring over the uh, the Bing chat thing. And <laughs> yeah, chat GPT <laughs> bring for it all the NPCs in the game. Yeah, exactly. That's a fun idea, but it's, yeah. No. I, I feel yeah. you would just <laughs> talk to a server somewhere that would probably be way faster. <laughs> exactly. It would be exactly. way, way exactly. faster, yeah. 
All right, well, let's move on to the next question. This one from Philippe Valois. He says, how do you purchase and research older equipment? Just curious what the process, uh, what's the process to buying an old CRT or monitor? Uh, this depends a lot on which type of monitor slash CRT you're looking for. If you're looking for pro monitors, it's best to just keep an eye out on the secondhand markets, uh, check out old broadcasting companies. I mean, they're kind of drying up in that sense, but they are still out there if you look closely. Uh, I've definitely picked up a few monitors from like local businesses, like a video editing firm here in town was uh, basically getting rid of one of their PVMs and I put it up for sale. So I just grabbed it, drove nice. down and picked it up. So that kind of stuff is is useful. But if you're actually trying to buy a consumer set or a PC monitor, the trick here I found is when you go to like a, 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 one of those sites like eBay Kleinenzeigen or like Craigslist or something, you want to look for like, say, a PC monitor, then sort by lowest to highest price. And you'll usually find CRTs there at the cheapest end. And specifically the CRTs being sold by people who don't call them retro. Because as soon as, <laughs> as the lister decides like, oh, this is a retro monitor, they're going to jack up the price even if it's not worth it. Uh, but a lot of people just have old CRTs lying around and they'll put them up for sale and be like, they don't know it's a CRT. Don't even look for CRT. Just look for like PC monitor or like old TV, right? Mm -hmm. And then you'll usually find like computer monitor and it'll be like 15 bucks because they just have this big bulky monitor. They don't specifically know of the current use for these things or care. And you can usually get it for a good price. So that's kind of one of the big tricks I found that works really well for this stuff, especially with computer monitors. Yeah. You can usually find some good ones. Just avoid the ones that are like, oh, retro gaming, dude, because uh, <laughs> they're they're just trying to, you know, take advantage of the market. Yeah. Are there any exactly. common pitfalls to be aware of? If you're, you know, you see a CRT, oh. looks reasonable. Is there anything you would go to, to check physically or that you would ask about? I think give well Alex do you have, you have some I, thoughts I just want to say like uh, if they can have it plug it in and take a if they can take a phone photo of it just to mm -hmm. make sure it actually works <laughs> like cuz sometimes you know old technology has just been sitting around it may not actually work you want to um, test it yeah test it <laughs> whenever whenever I pick up a monitor I always bring test equipment just to try it and make sure mm -hmm. uh, also um you'll want to make sure it doesn't have any well, first of all, you need to make sure it has the inputs that you need. Like if it's a TV, you want to make sure you can actually input the sources that you want. Um, there's even in the professional monitor, like if you get like an A series BVM, for instance, those have a very expensive and rare analog card. And there has been a replacement that's third party, but still you might end up in a situation where you get one of these monitors and you can only input like SDI into it. And you're like, well, what can I do with this? Right. But uh, it's worth going through the monitor, checking the picture quality, making sure there's nothing wrong with its like geometry quality or any of its settings, uh, at least nothing that that you can't fix. You know, if you're open to like taking the monitor apart and making changes to it, then that's no problem. But if you just want to pick one up, make sure it works uh, and also watch for smoking houses. Cause I once got a CRT where the guy was a heavy smoker. And as soon as you turn that thing on and it heats up, oh boy. Oh, some no. nasty some nasty uh tobacco smell uh it required me to open the whole monitor up and like take all the pieces out and clean it all with alcohol very oh carefully gosh. and even then it was it only took care of like 90 percent of the smell so there's still a little hint of it so watch out for that 
should just burn yeah. incense all around your monitors now all day. Give it an incense smell. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, though. Let's move on to the next one from Derek Eisenhart. He says, assuming they even happen, is it reasonable to expect the PS5 Pro and Xbox Series next? Well, that's a good t- name. We'll have enough ray tracing performance to play Unreal Engine 5 games at 60 FPS with hardware RT enabled. I'm glad Epic was able to get Fortnite running at 60 with software-only Lumen, but there is light leak and other issues to remind you that you're not getting the full quality or full fat experience hmm. on the latest consoles. <laughs> it seems you need an 800 plus dollar GPU if you want that kind of performance on the PC right now. So could they even feasibly put that much power in a mid-gen refresh and still keep the price under a thousand? No. <laughs> Why don't you tell us more, Alex? Yeah. I mean, at this place, I don't know if that's true because um, I didn't actually try. I don't recall if I tried hardware Lumen out on like a kind of good GPU using TSR or DLSS I th- from I 1080p to 4K. I suspect it would be actually quite playable. I thought I think I think it would be actually. Like, so I don't know rich, if this is true, Derek. Rich, yeah, exactly. I think the cost thing is no. In terms yeah, of getting maybe the cost thing is a no for the console. But yeah, for for the PC GPU side, I mean, even Rich got hardware RT mode running on the Steam Deck. Yeah, yeah right. Wow. So it, it was slow, but it worked. Yeah, so I think it's totally possible to get hardware RT 60 FPS. It just depends on the game because like. It's 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 it is a little bit funny in retrospect, but like yes, it's really impressive that they got Lumen running at sixty on consoles for that game. But if you look at that and compare it to like visually to like and the density and the complexity of like the uh, the Matrix demo or your your normal AAA game, actually Fortnite is not very impressive in in that aspect. Like just in terms of like like how much stuff is visible in one shot and how granular the detail is. It's oh, it inter- does. It- it does show off a nanite pretty well, I think. There's a lot yeah. of granular detail up close on assets. You know, but it's also like there's the difference between like NPCs and like yeah, 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 I know. physical interactions and all these things that like normal AAA games have. That Fortnite is like a it's a competitive game. It's not focusing on those things, and it's not single player. So that's a little funny. But I don't think with regard to this one, there's is this really even that big of a deal? I, I don't really know. Um, I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, like the hardware RT is nice, but software Lumen's pretty good, right? Yeah, like, it's fine it's for what you're, you're getting for, there. For a 60 FPS game, like if that's if it's your target, I think you're getting a lot for your money there in terms of performance. Yeah, and uh, and also like I would say hardware RT, even the hardware RT they put into the demo or not into the demo, sorry, into um, Fortnite wasn't like the, actually the full hardware RT mode. They didn't have the hit tracing, as it's called, like hit shading, where currently with a hardware RT that's default in Unreal Engine 5, it goes into the environment and it may go and hit try and hit geometry, but the shading is done by looking up the quote-unquote surface cache, which is like a really cheap way of shading the environment, and it gives it like a generic look. It's why like when you look in a reflection in that game, character models are like just black. They don't have any shading on them. Uh, it's because they're not necessarily a part of the surface cache. And it's also why if you look in reflections with hardware RT and you look at an object, you might be like, it looks pretty weirdly low res still, even with hardware RT. It's because it's not using the hit shading model, which is way more expensive uh, to run. And running that at a reasonable frame rate requires really big GPU uh, with Lumen at the moment. Uh, so I don't even think a PS5 Pro, and that would be a meaningful upgrade. I don't even think a PS5 Pro or Xbox Series Pro 
next. Would we even be able to manage that? Xbox so. Series Pro <laughs> next. next. Why not? That's a, just, that's a great at, name. Keep yeah. adding on more superlative things there. Um, why not? Uh, yeah, I don't think this is very useful or very very compelling of an idea, honestly. Mm. Yeah, mm. agreed. Agreed. For the Lich King. For the <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to the next question from Left is Hominid, who says, this one's special. It's This is for Will, the CPU tester. Though anyone can answer, but I oh, think good. we would prefer Will. <laughs> Given that Weird Al is all about the Pentiums, what argument would you use to convince him to look into Zen 4 instead of Raptor Lake? This is probably my favorite question of all time. And respond, <laughs> I have written, with the help of my friend by Microsoft Bing, a short rap to explain the situation. <laughs> oh my god, here we go. This is good. special. I'm the Ryzen 7000, the king of the hill. I'm faster than Intel. I'm the real deal. I'm the one you want. I'm the one you need. I'm going to be the one that's going to make your computer speed. Doesn't really make sense. I'm power efficient. I'm really cool. I'm the Ryzen 7000. I'm nobody's fool. I'm the one that's going to save you some cash. I'm the one that's going to make sure your computer lasts. Intel's 13th gen CPUs, they're just a joke. They're slow and outdated. They're really broke. They're no match for me. They're no match at all. I'm the Ryzen 7000. I'm standing tall. I've got 3D Vcash. I'm really smart. I'm the Ryzen 7000. I'm a work of art. I'm the one that's going to make your computer fly. I'm going to be the one that's going to make you say, oh my. So if you want the best, you know what to do. Get the Ryzen 7000. It's the right thing to do. It's fast. It's powerful. It's really cool. It's the Ryzen 7000. It's the king of the school. The school. Why does like hey, That's fire. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> but I mean, given that I spent literally one second typing this and uh, it came out with that, it's, it's not bad. Good job, Bing. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Bing wins that one. Bing yeah. wins that one. That was good. Uh, I don't know if we. I don't know how we can follow that. that I don't know. Up, but that we're, we're going to try because the next one is from Sven Dahlin, who says, "Hi, Alex." What do you think is the next big thing for PC graphics after ray tracing and super sampling slash frame generation? Oh, for me, it's going to be fluid sims or, or, oh, yeah. Heck or, yeah. or like really good collision because still it's super rare to see these things looking good ever in a game. Uh, I still think, I still think characters, man, I, I don't know. Like every single time I see a game with a character and they're wearing armor, it's just always wrong. It's always wrong. And it, it's, uh, you know, like like you see like metal cuirasses or like shoulder pauldrons like bending and it's like, oh my God, it's this, that's the useless armor you've got there, sir. Um, so things like that. And I also love fluid sims. So every single time in a game, most of the time, other than a select few, when like a, like a grenade goes off or smoke comes on the scene, it's just 2D and it's pivoting towards the camera. And it may play an animation where that there's just like the pre-rendered frames of animation there where it just changes as it pivots towards the camera. And I always see through those things. I don't think they look very convincing in modern games. And I would love to see like what we saw with Returnal, what we saw with even as weird as and as bad as it was, the Arkham Knight PC version where it had like really cool moving fog. Um, I would love to see more of that in games. And I think that's the next step for immersion visuals. All right, the next question here comes from Stuttery Mess, which is a pretty good username. It says, hello, DF. What are your thoughts on devs implementing forced DLSS 3 with a frame limit 
of 60 frames per second. Sackboy just got an update on the PC where (laughs) DLSS 3 is always turned on. If you have an RTX 40 series card with no way to disable it in game, even if you disable DLSS 2, DLSS 3 is turned on. The worst thing is that the game caps the frame rate to 60 in multiplayer, meaning that the actual frame rate is 30 FPS doubled to 60 using DLSS 3. It feels horrible. Alex, what do you have to say for this man? I literally just tried this out this morning and I even said the same thing to John. And I only noticed it originally because I was just doing the testing and I was like, my game started off with uh, forced V-Sync and I was doing 4K60. And because I had earlier turned on V-Sync in the MVCP uh, and I can't recall why I did, but I did. And the game started and it just like looked so freaking broken. Not just because DLSS 3 was enabled. DLSS 3's 30 to 60 conversion is fine enough visually. It's not actually good, but it's like fine enough. It wouldn't look make a game look broken. But here, I think there's some sort of frame pacing issue with the game when you cap it to 60 externally and then DLSS 3 is automatically on. Where like, fr- like everything was moving at what looked like 5 FPS. It was so broken. Um, I have no idea why they did this. This was... It's a cool idea to add DLSS 3 to a game, but forcing it on for people who have a GPU that supports it is such a bad idea. Um, you can technically turn it off by turning off GPU hardware scheduling, I think, and or deleting the DLL or moving the DLL or renaming it. But yeah, this was a bad idea. Uh, I don't know, StutterMS, what compelled them to do it. Um, at this moment, I think the idea is really bad. You should never force DLSS 3. It should always be an option that's toggleable, um, as well as what the other things it required. For example, to have DLSS 3 in the game, that means they had to add in reflex. So reflex is also not an option in the menu. That's mm. that's a shame. Uh, so all these things should always be toggleable, like every good PC port. Yeah, that's my that's what I gotta say. Yeah, it seems to me like they probably needed to meet some sort of deadline and this was just the quickest way that they could yeah. implement it like i i don't think yeah, anyone would probably. sit down and be like should we make this an option nah nah it's just <laughs> I, good I right it, yeah like that, that really doesn't strike me as being likely so uh, hopefully they will update the game to to give this uh into an actual option because yeah it doesn't make any sense otherwise yeah because there is that extra implementation time of actually adding anything to an options menu yeah exactly so, i get yeah. that I get it, that. It, it does kind of feel like it was maybe pushed out a little bit too quick, though I don't know why, because, you know... Yeah, what was the rush? What was the rush? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, hopefully it gets fixed. We'll keep an eye on that. An eye on that. And uh, let's finish up with one more question from Grant Hansen, who says, Hello, DF. Longtime viewer, recent Patreon sub. I recently came across an old DF with an old DF video with a short-haired Tom and an even shorter-haired Rich going through the process of pixel counting games. I'm curious if you guys still use that method or in the seven years since then, there's a newer, easier method that comes up and all you have and you all have implemented. And if not, how do you count pixels? How do you count pixel count? games with drs as i'm sure it jumps all over the place thank you and keep up the amazing work uh yeah we still kind of do that and it's, <laughs> it's it's still difficult it's actually more difficult than ever thanks to the rise of uh reconstruction taa you know all the new ai methods uh dynamic resolution scaling all of those things make it very difficult but it also highlights the fact that those raw pixel counts i think are no longer as they're no longer anywhere near as important as they once were, right? Mm. It's still interesting piece of data, but in the past it was a lot more meaningful, right? 
uh, for one, you're dealing with fewer pixels. So like, let's say in the Xbox 360 era where this was kind of uh, a new thing, the difference between a 720p game and a 540p game on an LCD panel was gigantic. Like, especially with anti-aliasing technologies of that era, like uh, there would be a significant difference in image quality there that was extremely obvious to anyone that played it. It was just, it was huge. Uh, these days, the difference between like 4K and like 1440p with like really high quality TAA or, you know, using something like DLSS or even, you know, whatever, uh, it's a lot less meaningful, I think. Like you can still spot the difference, but it's basically been reduced down to this one looks a little blurrier than mm. this one. You know what I mean? It's mm. no longer like, oh, there's this gigantic gulf between them, even though the difference in the raw number of pixels is huge, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I I'm gonna agree with John here where I said the 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 heart the how the difficulty of counting games now just points to the fact that that is not such a meaningful metric always to actually explain what is going on on the screen. And I think that's why the subjective element comes into our reviews much more in regards to image quality. Uh, and it has for a while now that we've kind of toned down giving out super concrete uh, pixel count details at times because it doesn't actually, it isn't the story uh, of what the, the, is interesting between the versions at this point in time. And with regards to DRS, I think there we take a... A conservative stance usually where we say where if we notice if we notice DRS like in a visual manner we'll definitely talk about it a lot uh, as part of the game like for, oh the they look really blurry in this scene or it looked really something like in this scene but usually it's just us taking a, a good couple counts like a meaningful amount of counts and then establishing a range there and saying that it could be it could go beyond this range as well too in both directions so we just kind of you know we cover our bases there. Uh, to make sure that we aren't giving out improper information, at least. Uh, I don't think it is a big deal, and I really hope we get past it. We did try for a while to think up another method for it. There were a couple. There was one really cool method that Rich came up with um, where it was looking at compression ratios between different footage. Because if you run them through a compressor, uh, they will they will spit out either at the end files of different sizes, or you can look at the compression ratio and see a difference there. And then it would actually give you a pretty good understanding of what the internal resolution might've been for the footage if you had a baseline. So for example, you compared it to the compression ratio of 4K native on PC. Uh, but that also is super time consuming and it's not 100% accurate. So we threw that out. We also came up with the idea of maybe doing spectral analysis for DR, uh, for looking at the various differences between the games where you have really good clear 4K footage or 1080p footage on the PC, a control, and then you plug in the consoles and you compare them side by side and look at the spectral analysis graph. Uh, but spectral analysis can tell you a lot of things about like how varied the pixels are in a given image, but it doesn't actually say much about real image quality things that we care about. Like it doesn't say it doesn't say if it's over sharpened. It doesn't say if the anti-aliasing is like it could give a, a higher value to something that has worse anti-aliasing as an example. Uh, so there's there's a lot of ways to do this. And I think the future here that I don't have the knowledge base for is like looking at how AI can interpret images for us, where it would say like, it would say, this is the better image. Anti-aliasing is performing better here than it is here. I mean, that's something that's subjective 
person could do. But if you could train an AI to do that and say that, uh, give this opinion for you, you could do it for a range of footage and then say, oh, the image quality is actually better in this scene here uh, on one console versus the other, which I would prefer instead of having, you know, it only be subjective. I think it would be cool still if there was a little bit more of an objective backing for everything. Yeah. I don't know. What do you what do you think about pixel counting there, Will? Yeah, you didn't really <laughs> to do it too much. I've, yeah, I've literally never done it. So it's, Don't ever do it. It's, it's a lovely part of my life. I, whenever <laughs> I think about it, I'm like, oh, oh, those DF guys, they're really doing hard work counting those pixels, I imagine. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm sure eventually hey. we will get an AI or some sort of way of doing this better. Or or maybe we, we won't. We'll just, you know, we'll... <clears throat> Let's just slowly leave behind resolution as as an actual metric that we're interested in. I think you know image quality is 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 the way forward. And I think you know in the recent RE4 stuff, you kind of said, oh, it was 4K like, and I think that's you know pretty much good enough for most purposes, right? You know if it looks indistinguishable from 4K or close enough on a on a typical set at a typical distance, that's fine. Job done. Mm-hmm. All right, that sounds good, and I think that's our show. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for joining me today and helping us get through it. I uh, hope you all enjoyed episode 103. I know I did. There's some fun. good moments on there, including Will's, uh, Will's fantastic. <laughs> that was, wow. That was truly great. Uh, we need more of that. I okay, think that, next, that should, next week I'll be back with a new wrap. All right. <laughs> DJ will be back with a new one. Uh, but that's all from us today. So, you know. Ring that bell for nominally instant notifications, or I think Richard has now suggested they are actually instant. Literally yeah. instant. And literally no instant. He will continue to receive notifications from that other channel that he doesn't like, <laughs> which he always talks about. Uh, and yeah, I guess that's going to do it for this episode. So thanks for watching. <laughs>